Well, we'll go and get started. Uh, we're gonna be, um, hello Wombles, hello Sieverts. We're gonna be in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're gonna be continuing the whole story of Elijah. We're gonna hit this over the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully I'll remember to say this again, but whatever you do, do not miss next week. Next week's gonna be awesome. Hello Dunlops, good to see you guys. Hello Bars in Wilma Holloway. Miss Linda and Ron Burgess, good to have you guys. Hello, Dulox. On Friday, March 11th, uh, 2011, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a huge underwater earthquake that hit off the coast of Japan, and it sent a, a massive wave heading straight towards the coast. And if you guys remember this, it, it just devastated Japan. And this big wave took out, um, they initially found 15,000 that had perished in this tsunami uh, and an additional 5,000 that were most likely washed out to sea. They, they never found them. And a lot of people were saying, man, I, I wish there was a way that this could have been prevented. I, I wish that there would have been some type of warning system uh, to prevent such uh, drastic loss of life. But some of the, um, I hate to call them old timers, uh, on the island said, well, there is a warning system. Apparently, uh, if you're up in some of the state parks, uh, they've got these rocks. They're, they're stone markers. And basically what it said is uh, they date back over 600 years ago. And they were left by previous generations. And they said, whatever you do, uh, don't build houses below the these rocks if you build above here you'll be fine uh, so it was a note that had been passed from generation to generation of as long as you're building above here you're going to be good but you're uh you're taking your life in your own hands if you build below these well of course all the people that have perished were below these rock uh, or stone markers and so it, it's almost like they kind of blew through the warnings that had been posted by previous generations when these um, storms had hit from time to time that this had happened. And if you remember in our story last week, we were looking at kind of a changing of the guard with Ahab and his wicked wife, Jezebel. Uh, and we talked about how that even though uh, God had given through Joshua this warning of don't go in and, and rebuild Jericho, leave it like it is, one of the first things that um, Ahab did in his first hundred years on the uh, first hundred days on the throne was, hey, go rebuild Jericho. And sure enough, the fellow that um, set the uh, foundation lost his, his oldest son. And when he put the gates on the city, he lost his youngest son, just as Joshua had said it, it would happen. And so we see this crisis of faith that's going on with God's people where they for a lot of time uh, for many years have been kind of practicing and and worshiping uh jehovah god but then they've also got this side relationship with some of these other gods like baal and the asherah poles and that type of thing so uh good to have sherry richardson with us tonight and uh carrie smith and the millsteads and the tinsleys and isaacs and paula austin I'll tell Eugene I said hello as well. So good to have Clarice with us. 
So what we're talking about is kind of a crisis of faith that's going on in Israel. And they don't know whether to go all in with Baal or still kind of go back and forth. Or are they going to say, you know what, we're just going to worship Jehovah God. And so they've blown through this. And Ahab is doing his best to appease his wife and trying to get Baal worship going across. Well, it, it's not just that they're suggesting Jezebel has sent out her troops um, to go in and kill a lot of the prophets and, and preachers and teachers, anyone that would uh, oppose what's going on. And then she replaced these priests and teachers with priests um, of, of the Baal faith. And initially it was just there in the capital city of Samaria, but then they started spreading them out across the nation, trying to influence uh, on Main Street uh, people truly going over to what's happening uh, and worshiping Baal. And so um, finally, the Lord sends Elisha in, uh, Elijah into town and says, go tell Ahab that you're on your own for three years. And so a giant uh, drought is going to be happening and famine is going to go throughout the land that will accompany this drought. And you're on your own without a person here to represent God and without God's message and without God's blessings that come. And so the people have to fend for themselves with these new gods. And it really is a battle to determine who is it? Who is the real God here? And so uh, Elijah goes in and tells Ahab, no rain will fall until he speaks the word. And in a, in a lot of ways, it was kind of an insult uh, to Baal because Baal was this god of, of lightning and storm and fertility and all things uh, life-giving to the land and to people. And by withholding uh, rain, what Yahweh is doing, he's demonstrating his power over his kingship in the very area in nature that Baal and Asherah should be able to, to fill in the blanks. But of course, they can't. And for three years, the people are getting an object lesson as to how powerless these things are. So good to have the squires with us tonight and Jill. And uh, looks like the Norses are here. And Sandra, good to have you and Charles here and the bakers. So if you'll look at with me uh, to 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 7, says sometime later, when God's man goes out, it said the brook had dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So what's going on here? Well, if you remember, Elijah goes out and he's in a place called Kareth Ravine. And this is just an, an awesome little oasis in the middle of this famine, in the middle of this drought. God has provided this, this safe place for his uh, prophet to be there uh, and not only be safe from Jezebel and her goons that she sent out, but also to take care of him physically. And so uh, every morning and every night, um, the Lord sends ravens to come in and bring bread and bring meat to uh, the prophet Elijah, which just proves that that God is a carnivore and he's not a vegetarian. I just thought I'd throw that in. Okay, uh, so morning and evening, it said that he, he drank from the brook and he had all these different things. So uh, good to have the Allens with us. And uh, Randy, good to have you as well. 
and Wendy and Shonda and Steve and and the alls. Glad to have you guys as well. So he's out there. And for the better part of, of two years, you have Elijah being taken care of. And then one day he wakes up and the birds aren't coming. Uh, and he's like, where's breakfast? Uh, where's dinner? And I'm kind of getting thirsty. So the brook kind of dried up. And so if I had been Elijah, I'm like, hey, I, I've been faithful. I, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've gone in and pronounced this uh, edict against it, uh, against the king. And I put my life on the line. And why aren't you taking care of me? Uh, and apparently Kirk Norris is a carnivore as well. So that's good. Okay. So it says the brook dries up and he has no source of, of nourishment. And so my first question tonight is, um, is what do you do when your brook dries up? What, what do you do when your way of life gets disrupted? Because if you think about it, that's exactly what's been happening over the past couple of months is our life has been very disruptive. And what do you do during that time? And, and no, Robbie, there, there is no verse that says goons, but I appreciate you pointing that out. I, I, I may have elaborated a little bit. So, but if you think about it, uh, maybe it, what it looks like when your brook dries up is when you have been working for a company for the better part of your life and you have had opportunities to go work for a competitor, had an opportunity to go do a lot of different things, but yet you remain faithful to your company and then at the last minute, um, your boss comes in and says, sorry, I, I, you're not going to be able to continue working here. And you're like, I've been loyal to you. How come you haven't been loyal to me? And so that's what it kind of uh, forget. You know, we that's what it kind of feels like when your brook dries up. Or maybe you go to the doctor and, and something's just not quite right. It, and you're feeling tired and he runs all kinds of tests and does different things, but can't really pinpoint what's going on with your health. But suddenly it's a drastic change. And you're like, where's this, this energy that I'm used to having? Uh, maybe it's one day you come home and you've been married for many, many years. And uh, there's a, a note and a ring on the, on the nightstand. And it just says, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I ever loved you and I want to spend the rest of my life doing something else. There, there's no one else here, but um, I'm, I'm just ready for a change. And so you're like, okay, this is drastically going to impact what my life looks like. Um, and so what happens when your source of, of joy or companionship and comfort and love, what happens when that dry, dries up? So um, Amy says, honestly, I, I think you mourn the loss of whatever it is that has changed. And I, I think that that's, that's really uh, very true that you do go through that because we're creatures of habit uh, and we're like, okay, I want my life the way that I've set it up. And then when that doesn't happen, you're right, Amy. Sometimes we just have to take stock of things and, and have a little bit of a, a pity party. So um, I, I think it, it becomes 
kind of a crisis of faith when things aren't the way that we want them to be. And especially when someone else has made that decision and it disrupts how we've kind of set things up. So um, I, I think we go through crisis of faith, but is, is a crisis of faith always a bad thing? Or is it maybe God can, can make some headway when our schedules uh, get disrupted with, with what we're going through right now? So the, the main thing that, that I would tell you as a little bit of a teaching point is uh, don't mistake your resource as your source. So you may have had the same resource, meaning a paycheck coming in from one location. So that's that's not the source of your blessing. It's not your source of your livelihood. It, it's a resource. But we need to kind of remember that that God uh, is the one that is that source. Uh, Harriet says, sometimes we go through these disrupting times. It, it, it's a reevaluation time. And I, I think you're absolutely right. You and Don are, are spot on in that it, it causes us to kind of pause and it causes us to sit down and go, okay, what's going on here and where do we need to go? But if we can see God as, as the source and, and these other things as resources that God uses to provide for us, like uh, this stream that is a resource for Elijah, but now it's dried up, but God's still going to be the, the source. Uh, Sandra says, a crisis of faith. I think if, if we don't stray from our faith, it can be a growing experience. Well, that is spot on. It, it really is uh, when we can turn these things over to God. So um, Watchman Nee once said, because of our proneness to look at the bucket and forget the fountain, God has uh, frequently to change his means of supply to keep our eyes fixed on the source. I, I think it's, it's really true that when our source, our, our resource changes, it allows us to say, okay, God's still my source, even though my resource it is going to change. Let's read together in First um, Kings chapter 17, starting 8 through 14. Then the word of the Lord came to him. All right, Elijah, you, the, the stream is dried up. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow. And as I'm reading this, tell me, write in your comments, what is it that is bothering you about this story as I read it? I'm commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zareph, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Can you see it in your mind? All right. He called to her and asked, can you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called in, ah, uh, can you also bring me a piece of bread? Oh, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm just gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Being the compassionate prophet that Elijah was, he says, well, don't be afraid. Go home and do as, as you have said, but first make me a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. 
And then if you got something left over, <laughs> make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Okay, so what's wrong with this story? Um, Karen Perry says, no thoughts of half empty or half full. Boy, that's that's a, an awesome point as far as looking at perspective, how we look at these crisis situations. Uh, Kirk said, Watchman Nee is the bomb. Absolutely. Oh, that's from Tara. Awesome. Uh, Dan says, we are to take care of the widows. And this story is backwards. Yeah, how bad is this? Now, why don't you go make me something? I know you're about to die, but before you lay down and die, can you make me one more meal? Uh, Lynn says, sounds like a guy uh, who's used to getting waited on. That's right. We we talked about this in our marriage ceremony, you know, the marriage series a couple weeks ago where you, you shake your, your tea glass. I mean, that's kind of how God's representative comes off. Uh, yeah, several things are troubling about this story to me. Uh, Lord sends the prophet Elijah to the territory of Sidon and Phoenicia. But they're also going through a drought. They're also going through a famine. And he, he's, God's like, hey, I've set up this widow to take care of you. But they're on the verge of starvation. But uh, I've tapped them on the shoulder. Okay, they don't worship Jehovah, but yet Jehovah's kind of come and said, I want you to take care of one of my guys. And so when Elijah learns that they're sad state, instead of offering assistance, he's like, all right, go ahead and take care of me. Um, first, by doing so, allows the Lord to show power over Baal. So if you notice, he is coming into town and he's allowing these people to see firsthand just the power of God. But yet it's going to take an act of faith on this woman's uh, behalf for her to go in and do this. So, um, but the, the question that I always wondered is, why did Elijah have to leave Kareth Ravine? He's been there for two years. He's got another year to go. Why did he have to wander into this village? Um, I, and I, I think that there's something else that's going on um, beyond just um, that this woman needs to grow or God's testimony needs to be proclaimed in this uh, Gentile town. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that this is like, um, this is where, this is Jezebel's hometown that he sends them to. So Jezebel's trying to change Israel and God's trying to change Jezebel's town, where it's kind of the hotbed for what's happening in all things Baal. And so, uh, but I think there, there's more to the story. Uh, there was something that Elijah needed to learn before he faces Ahab and the 400 prophets, uh, 450 prophets of Baal that we'll see next week. What is it that Elijah needs to learn in this process? What, how does he need to grow? Why has God changed from taking him out of the ravine where he provides for him morning and, and night to suddenly he's begging on the streets uh, of this pagan nation from a widow. Why do you think he does? Um, I think it's interesting that the name of the town, Zarephath, really means refining or crucible, meaning that 
as Elijah's coming in, he realizes something's about to happen to him. And there's some refining to do. I, I'm sure he could have thought, well, yeah, these people need to be refined. I'm going to be the refiner. But in reality, I, I think there's something going on that Elijah needs to experience as he's getting ready for the showdown of his life. So um, whether it's a book or movie, a lot of times the plot is not necessarily what happens, but the development of the main character and what happens in the journey to where we start seeing growth along the way. Uh, Karen says maybe he needs to work on his arrogant attitude. Uh, Robbie says God's help can come in unexpected ways. Well, those are awesome things. And I'm sure uh, that Elijah needed to know those. Uh, I don't know if we have any fans of Rocky, uh, but Rocky Four is the one where Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rocky fights uh, Dolph Lundgren, you know, the, the big uh, Russian fighter. And if you remember, he doesn't train in America. He has to get away from all the glitz and, and the glam that come with his faith. And he has to get, he goes and trains in Russia because he has to kind of get back to the heart of things. He has to prepare for the challenge that's ahead of him. So uh, Martha Norris said, Jimmy and Martha are watching all the way from Alabama. So we're glad to have you guys with us tonight. So what might the problems be that Elijah has to resolve? What are some ways that he has to grow if he's going to be able to stand up on Mount Carmel, as we'll see next week, in front of a whole nation. What is God doing? What's this refining? What's this crucible that Elijah is going through? So if you have some ideas of lessons God may be teaching them, please throw them on here. Uh, one that I came up with was pride. And I think that had been mentioned as well, it, kind of the arrogant attitude. He had already learned the necessity of prayer uh, through his time in the ravine and dependence upon God. So that's good. One meal at a time. It was kind of like the children of Israel as they, they crossed over um, through the desert. You know, God gave them the manna each and every morning and they couldn't store up. So uh, this is um, something that. It had to be a humbling experience for him to walk into a pagan nation, walk into a town and beg from a widow who's trying to prepare her last meal. But yet God says, this is my plan for you to humble yourself. Uh, something that Roxanne Ledbetter brought up last week, which is really good. And we're going to talk about this in one of our last weeks. And that's the idea of isolation. And, uh, you know, he's been living alone with the ravens, uh, and that's definitely isolated. But God's going to show him that there are other good people in the world, and that even in this pagan nation, there are good people that God is at work with. I think that's something that's hard for us. I think sometimes I'm guilty of kind of a, a United States worldview of Christianity and even the idea that God is only interested in his children that are faithful to him uh, through Jesus. But in reality, God loves all of his children. 
and he wants all of them to be saved. And so for God to care about what's happening here, to me, I, I think um, is something that Elijah needs to learn. He's been isolated, but he's been not just away from his people, but he's been isolated all of his life from other children of God uh, that they need to grow and, and need to learn that God cares about them. All right, Tara said uh, he better learn the necessity of prayer uh, if he's going to go shaking his tea glass at a woman who isn't his wife. I used to know a guy who did that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, Lynn says both the widow and Elijah were in need. Uh, Umble and Elijah needs to remember God's power and care in all circumstance. Absolutely. Um, something else that I wrote down is just faith, um, not in his own ability, but in God's power and God's ability to channel his power through Elijah uh, to others. At the widow's house, you know, Elijah is presented with this opportunity to bless this woman for her act of faith. And if you guys remember uh, that he provided, you know, the oil and uh, the flower, the things that she needed and made a promise to her that they would keep going all throughout the famine, that she would never run out of the provisions that she needed. But there was also a time where Elijah had to trust God a little further, not just with material things, but with life. If you remember the story, the woman, you know, she's a widow, her husband has passed away, but her young son uh, died one day. And, and she's convinced that maybe her gods have cursed her for bringing in this uh, this missionary, this prophet of Jehovah. And so she starts questioning uh, her whole decision to listen to uh, God's prompting to care for Elijah. And uh, in verse 17 through 24, uh Elijah goes in and he carries this boy up to the room that she had prepared for him. Um, some of the scholars think that maybe she even took him up to the took him up to the roof to where he, it's just between uh, the boy and and Elijah and God. And he's up there, and it's kind of an unstable thing in our world. What's going on? But Elijah actually lays down on top of the boy three different times. Uh, trying and uh, for life to be restored from from his body to to the boys and just pleading for his life, um, and so uh, he has the um, and he asks, you know, why has this boy been saved from hunger only to to die like this? And so, uh, of course, we look at this story through the lens of all the scripture and we know about the resurrection, but up to this point, no one else had been raised back from the dead. And so uh, Elijah is just pleading for something that's never taken place. And so he stretches himself over three times and indeed the Lord restores the life of this boy. And it affirms that Elijah truly is God's man and that the truth that comes from Yahweh is the real truth that this woman can affirm. So let's look at a couple of the things. Um, 
Bob Mitchell says, even Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. The spirit can work on us during these special times. Uh, boy, Bob, I, I think you and Jane are, are spot on. Um, I think that we count our blessings when we have things uh, and have all that we do. And we say prayers, thanking God. But we also thank God for our blessings when they're removed as well. And when we go through these seasons of having a uh, few things. Uh, Sandra says, me too. Was his name David? Uh, maybe that's to the make your own sandwich comment. Okay. Amy says, Elijah learned that God can use anyone to serve his purpose. So if you don't believe, he'll find someone. Boy, that's the truth. Uh, maybe the story of, of Esther where Mordecai comes in and says, Hey, Mordecai, uh, Esther, you know, God has this plan for you, but if you're not going to do it, God's going to find a way for it to get done. But God's plan is for you to do this. Uh, so maybe you've been raised for such a time as this. Okay. So the, the boy comes back. Um, and so this season with the widow this year finally comes to uh, a completion. And during this time, you know, the widow has come to trust in the Lord, her son as well. The name of, of the Lord has been proclaimed. The truth is shown to be real truth. But Elijah has started to grow. And he's learned a lesson from this season that he's going to need these lessons. He's going to need these strings, uh, strength. And the things that he's learned is he's about to climb into the boxing ring up on Mount Carmel. So uh, if, if you think about the, the second thing that we need to learn, um, it, in addition to God being the source, is God has a plan. And I, I think this is something when things aren't going well, uh, we kind of wonder. We're like, God, I had a plan, but apparently that's not good enough or You've got something else going on, but we question, God, do you really have a plan? Because my plan was working just fine. And we question, does God really know what's going on? Does he really know what's best? And can he really truly be our source? And so we have to trust that God has a plan. And when life comes at us, when we uh, lose a loved one, when we lose a job, uh, when we go through um, health challenges, when relationships dissolve, it it catches us off guard, doesn't it, church? But we need to realize it didn't catch God off guard. He, he knows what's around the next corner. Uh, he knows what is not only best for us, but he knows what's going to happen uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so... Uh, just because you're in great peril and panic, don't think that God is. God has got this. He has a plan. I love uh, that Exodus uh, records that there are 12 wells and, and streams that are strategically going from Egypt down the pathway that they went as it went up to the promised land. 12 strategic locations where they found water. Okay, let, let this sink in. God's people were, after 400 years, God hears their, their cry. 
And he says, okay, I'm going to send you your deliverer. Uh, you're not ready to go to promised land. We're going to take you the long way around. And I want you to follow this pathway. And, and so God takes him across the wilderness. And they stop off at these wells that are hidden in the desert. They hadn't been discovered up to that time. So before the Lord laid the foundation of the earth, he knew about this deliverance. He knew the pathway, and he knew that God's people would be led out of Egypt back up there. So he's like, okay, as we put this thing together, don't forget we've got to put some wells out there where my, my people can drink as I provide for them. Do, do we trust that God has already made future provisions for us in the challenges that we don't know are coming? To me, I, I think that's an awesome way of thinking about this. Amy says, uh, my problem is I wonder if I'm not still and listening to know the plan. Amen to that. Uh, perhaps the Lord has given us the 60 days to sit back and go, are you listening? You, you said that the reason you don't pray and read your Bibles, you don't have enough time. You got some time now. Are you really listening to what God's trying to teach you during this season? Uh, Linda Robertson says, I like to think of it as a new purpose uh, that God changes our circumstance. And sometimes it's not just to strengthen our faith, but he's got he's got something waiting, waiting in the wings that he wants us to do. You know, Linda, I, I think of Moses and his calling that came at age 80. And it's like, Moses, all of the heartaches and things that have taken you from the throne room out into the desert to caring for sheep, this has all been preparing you for your greatest chapter, which is going to come at age 80. Uh, Carrie Smith says, thankful to the unexpected doors that are opened, even when you need a little shove to go through them. Amen, sister, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, Jackie, good to have you here with us tonight. Uh, Kirk says, I didn't know about the 12 strategic streams. I only knew about because Steve Hemphill, uh, the 12, I think, uh, commemorative altars they built over time that ended up surrounding them. Yeah, that's awesome. So if we had Blake Hemphill on a, a few weeks ago and his dad, Steve, does a lot of stuff on spiritual warfare and you need to tap into his resources. He's got a lot of cool stuff to add. Uh, Romans 8.28, I know all things work together for those that are called according to God's purpose. So, boy, that's a big a big step of faith. That has to be where we, we lean into those, those uh, deals. So we have to believe God is our source, and we have to believe that God has a plan for our life. Uh, the hard part is when we're asked to follow that plan. Uh, Kirk also asked, think about it. Paul knew he could go speak before the rulers in Rome. He didn't know at first that it would be as a prisoner after a, shri a shipwreck. So that was Tara adding that. So awesome. Yeah. So sometimes uh, the way we have things scripted out, um, it, it doesn't always turn out. But God's like, yeah, I'll still accomplish my purposes. 
So uh, as we wrap up tonight, uh, what are some things that you've learned from this lesson? Um, I know for me, um, I, I don't like to think that God's prophets had stuff to learn. But if we look at David, we look at, you know, as was mentioned earlier, even uh, Jesus went out for 40 days in the wilderness to uh, to really be honed and be tempted and be uh, filled with the spirit spirit before he went into his ministry. So as a congregation, um, it's going to be interesting to see what God has in store for us as individuals and as a church. And how is God going to use this refining time for us? How is he going to use temptations? How is he going to use this downtime uh, for us to come out on the other side stronger and more dependent upon him? I think for a lot of people, uh, if you watch it over the news, uh, there's a lot of second guessing. And a lot of people looking at politicians and asking, well, why did you say this then? And what did you know at this point? And, to be quite honest, uh, this has really kind of taken us by storm. And I, I really think that this is a challenging time for a lot of different people. But God can bring good about this. And I pray that this is a, a time where God can use this as a season of refinement. And uh, I'm sure that there were times over that three years where Elijah's like, okay, I'm your mouthpiece. Uh, I've got a message. I'm ready to go. Come on, Lord. Why do you have me sitting down in a gully talking to birds for two years? Why am I hiding out in a widow's house with her her young son? And we tend to think of those times as wasting time. But God says, no, it's necessary. And just trust me. But learn these lessons while you have this time. Learn these lessons because your Mount Carmel's coming. Your opportunity to speak boldly, your opportunity to make a decision one way or another it is going to come. And there may be an opportunity for you to say, ask for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that decision may be coming. It, it may be a trial that you have no idea is right around the corner. Will you have the spiritual reserves to meet that trial? Uh, Amy says, Siebert says, surround yourself with friends who can remind you gently about God's bigger plan when you face your refining time. Well, that's true. You know, uh, in the book of Job, I think the best thing that his friends did is when they sat around the fire and just were with him as spiritual friends. Uh, but it's when they opened their mouth and started interpreting what God was doing that they kind of got off off track. Harriet said it's a reminder that even to the faithful, not not everything will always run smoothly. Absolutely. You know, we look at the stories in like, I think Mark chapter 13, where uh, a giant tower falls down on a group of people and it's a current event. And Jesus says, hey, were the ones that got squashed by the tower, were, were they less righteous? Uh, than the folks that were able to get out of the way of the tower falling over? No. You know, rain falls on the just and the unjust. And hopefully the ups and downs of this life and the uncertainties of this life will cause us to long for the life to come. Kiani says God's plans are always bigger and greater than we can see. 
amen to that. Even in the seasons that we all go through, we hold on to the word and truth. And when we come out on the other side, because we will, we will see how much we have grown spiritually and how strong we are for trusting. Yep. You're spot on there, Kiani. And keep going as we all go through these, these trials and a special uh, prayer for your family. Robbie says, I love that God is my source and the other things I thought were so important are resources <laughs> that helps my perspective. Um, I, I hope that uh, Grady, one of our shepherds, Robbie's husband, gets to tell his story for the congregation of God's provisions because I truly believe that uh, Grady had some ravens bringing him some bread and some, some meat in the midst of a famine. And God's hands were all over that. So God be praised with that. Well, I thank you guys for your time. Don't want to spend, um, go over too far, but I appreciate everything um, that you guys are doing. And um, I appreciate the fellowship we're able to have. Whatever you do, take your phone out and, and, and put in your calendar. Do not miss next week. It is an awesome, awesome story. And we're going to have some fun with it. So let me pray for us. Lord, as we close tonight, I want to thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, it is uh, good to see that even your prophet Elijah needed some refining. He needed to learn some lessons of faith and, and trust and to lean into your provisions. Lord, forgive us when we get confused with our sources and our resources. Lord, we believe James, the brother of Jesus, when he said every good and perfect gift comes from you. There is no other source. If it's good, it is from you. And you have different resources that we tap into. But help us always remember that that comes from you. Lord, help us when our uh, little life that we set up gets knocked over. Help us to not question you, but to trust that you've got a plan. Help us to seek that plan. Help us to lean into that plan. And Lord, help us to do the things that you put before us. Lord, help us to use this time during this pandemic to draw closer to you. Draw closer to each other, even in, in this unique way. And Lord, I, I pray that we can look out to others' needs. And this can be a time where we all grow together. Christ, we pray. Amen. A um, couple more notes. Uh, Zach's is great Devo. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Miss Joe uh, Pierce says, Elijah, true prophet of God, he was blessed with divine forces racing off to the heavens in a chariot of flaming fire horses. Jimmy Lynn. Awesome. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Miss Linda. And thank you, Deneen. And thank you, Nancy White. I appreciate it. You guys are encouraging me as much as I'm encouraging you. Thank you, Amy. And uh, you guys just be uh, great. Stay safe and long for the time when we can get together in person. God's blessings on you all. We'll see you Sunday.